Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to the 3D Parent Podcast. So like many of you, I'm working from home currently with a house full of children and my husband. So I cannot promise that this is going to be the cleanest recording, that you're not going to hear some ambient noises coming from my household, my dog, my children, and so forth. I typically record in my basement where I have lower ceilings and a carpeted floor um, that currently is housing all four of my children who are playing and working down there. So I am up in my bedroom, which may not have as good a sound as I normally have. So I apologize for that. But you know, I'm just trying to be flexible and still show up in this podcast. So today, I'm honestly, frankly, tired of talking about Uh, the coronavirus, the pandemic, uh, surviving it. I'm sure I will continue to have some more offerings in the coming weeks. In fact, I know I will. That will be addressing different ways of coping and supporting families who are home while schools are closed and workplaces are closed. And I will continue to have more content on that topic. But I wanted to shift gears today and talk about something different because my brain just needed a change. And you probably are sick of hearing it too. So let's take a journey together in a completely different direction. I want to talk today about having the talk. And the talk is in quotation marks. Having the talk with your kids. The talk I'm referring to, of course, is one having to do with human sexuality, puberty, bodies, and all that entails. So as my kind of lead-in intro to my podcast suggests, this is for parents' ears only. And this podcast is maybe even a step more in that direction because I will be talking about human sexuality and how to talk to your kids about these topics. All of us come from different perspectives in terms of our values around these topics and what we're hoping to impart to our children. And I'm not going to get deep into the nitty gritty of that. You all have your own values that you want to um, share with your children regarding sexuality, the time and place for it, and so forth. And I'm not here to be controversial on those topics, but rather to encourage you as parents and leaders of your households to have open conversations with your children's children on these topics from a very young age. And so I'm going to jump right in here. And in a few minutes, I'm going to invite my almost 16-year-old firstborn daughter in on the conversation because she was the first of my children, of course, who received this type of information from me and my husband, but primarily me, um, because I felt more comfortable with the subject matter right out of the gate and had a 
idea of how I wanted to have these conversations with my children. But I want to dial it back and go even a bit more back in time to my own childhood and my memories of learning about puberty and uh, sexuality from my memories as a child. And I did run this topic by my mom because I did want to share a little bit about my experience and how that kind of impacted and shaped me and my current thinking on how to address these topics with children. Um, and so I kind of told her, hey, I want to share a couple of stories from my childhood. Are you okay with that? And she gave her blessing. And I told her, you know what? It's not in any way, shape, or form to say, oh, what happened to me was bad. It, this is not about bad or good or right or wrong. This is more about sharing experiences and kind of how that formed my thinking on the topic. And some of that came from my childhood experience my mom's perspective as a young parent herself, she also had her idea about how she wanted to address these topics with me and my older sister. And her experience with doing so with her firstborn, my sister, shaped kind of what I experienced and so on. And as I will share, it wasn't necessarily the cleanest and most kind of easy experience when she addressed this topic with my older sister. And because of that, it kind of made her second guess what her perspective was on how to talk about sexuality with her children. And me being the second born, she kind of made some adjustments that I was the one who got to experience her kind of adjusted perspective. And, and that's kind of what helped me shape my thoughts on this. So kind of a long-winded roundabout way of sharing my story. But first, I'm going to share my sister's story. So as the family lore goes, my sister, when she was somewhere, I think what I remember hearing was she was in the neighborhood of around seven years old. She asked my mom where babies came from. And my mom said, okay, here we go. Here, here's the question. And she had already thought about this and she had decided that she wanted to give very honest and scientifically accurate information to us when these questions came. And this being her firstborn child, we all, you know, with our firstborns, we're, we're new at this. We're all first-time parents. And so she thought, okay, here we go. My daughter is clearly wanting to know all the information about where babies come from. So she had uh, already purchased a book that she had stored away just for this moment. And when uh, my sister asked that question, my mom grabbed that book and uh, they sat down together and they read the whole book from cover to cover of where babies come from and all the details. And I don't know the specifics because I never read this book. I would never had this book read to me, but my sister sat there apparently very quietly taking in all the information and then they finished and my mom asked her if she had any follow-up questions. She said, nope. And my mom thought, great score. I did it. I, I gave the talk to my seven-year-old daughter. Well, my mom went about probably taking care of me or making dinner or whatever she was doing, waiting for my dad to come home. And when he came home, what he was greeted with was my seven-year-old sister who had been waiting the whole time at the top of the stairs waiting for the door to open and for my dad to walk through. And when he did, she pointed at him and said, ew, yucky, and ran away. <laughs> and he came in and asked my mom what had happened. And she explained and they were like horrified. Oh gosh, we obviously gave too much information. She wasn't ready for that. We went too far, you know, 
I don't know what they did from that point on. I don't know those types of details, but that was their first experience. And so when I came along a few years later and asked my own question, I remember specifically watching an I Love Lucy rerun and not that old. They were not, they were not fresh, but it was, I used to love watching I Love Lucy for some reason when I was a little kid. And it was an episode where Lucy announced that she was expecting and I didn't really know what that meant. And I remember my mom walked through the TV room at that time. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, oh, it means that they're going to have a baby. And then I, of course, follow up saying, well, how does that happen? How, how, do, how do you have a baby? And my mom looked at me and she, without missing a beat, said, oh, with love. And then she kept on walking into the kitchen. And I remember at that moment, I didn't ask any more follow-up questions. I thought, okay, it just takes love. And then a baby comes. And then I remember watching another episode of I Love Lucy that came before Lucy was expecting. And Lucy and Ricky kissed. And I thought, oh, there we go. That was the love. That's how they made the baby. And so I went for a couple of years. I probably at the time I asked that question was somewhere in the neighborhood of, I would guess, five or six. Because then I remember being in second grade and a little girl came to school with her own version of where babies come from. And I believe it was something along the lines of a dad pees inside a mom. (laughs) That Oh gosh, that's what happens. And at that point, what really struck me with this that this is embarrassing. This is not something I want to talk about with anybody, especially not my parents. And it became this kind of drive of mine through the next several years of trying to find the answers to where babies come from and how this happens. And God forbid, do daddies pee in the mom? <laughs> I, I was trying to make sense of this. And so, you know, I got more curious as I got a little older and I was probably fourth grade. And I discovered a book on the bookshelf. It was a science book. And there was actually a chapter about reproduction. And I read it. And it gave me a lot of good information. But it was pretty, I think it was a page or two as if not a book about uh, reproduction or human sexuality. It was just a, a page or two within a book. But my sister walked in on me and she saw what I was reading. And she went immediately, as big sisters do, and reported to my mom. And my mom got her cue. Okay, Bevan's ready for this information. And so then she sat down with me shortly after, said, oh, you know, your sister told me that you were reading this book. And I know you're ready now for this information. And then she went and explained, she did not have a book with me. She just explained with her own words and her own language, how babies are made. And I sat there in horror and embarrassment. And I think I spent a lot of time laying on the floor. Um, And I remember my mom coaxing me, come on, you're old enough to hear this information and coaxing me in my seat. And she explained it and she did the, the, you know, she did a great job of explaining it to me, but I was pretty embarrassed. I spent most of my time just wanting to kind of run away. And the following year, my school offered an optional class taught by the mother of one of my classmates who happened to also be a nurse and an incredible artist. And she drew very graphic drawings and I believe watercolors of human anatomy and where babies come from. And that was, it was age appropriate information. She didn't leave any details out. Um, It was very informative and our mothers kind of came to this class with us. And then 
they heard the same information and then we were supposed to carry on conversations afterwards. I do remember having some follow-up conversations, my mom following these classes, but there wasn't a lot left on the table. A lot of good information was shared. And, you know, through the years growing, I know I had conversations with my parents. And as I became more mature and able to have conversations about these topics, they became less uh, cringy and uncomfortable. (laughs) But what I really kind of came away with as, uh, you know, I became a parent was that I really wanted to have open conversations from a very, very young age when questions were asked and to follow my child's lead and kind of, if I really was the expert of my child and really was being able to kind of make sense of what was the question they were asking and what information were they ready to hear that I would just trust my instinct and intuition and deliver the information they wanted to hear in a manner that was age appropriate. And um, it has been very successful to approach this topic in that way with all four of my children. And like I said, I'm going to invite my daughter to join the conversation in a few minutes and share a little bit about what she remembers from when we started having really candid conversations about sexuality through the years, from the time she was very young um, through her kind of a middle childhood age, you know, elementary age and through um, puberty. And um, now she's a high school sophomore. So we'll talk about, um, we'll have a conversation so you can kind of get a perspective from a teenager who has had a very open dialogue with her parents from a young age about sexuality and human bodies. But my first point I want to make with you is the question of when to have the talk. And if it hasn't already become clear from the kind of opening conversation, there is no talk. This is a conversation that you initiate as a parent from the time your child doesn't even have the ability to speak. And it begins by naming anatomy with the proper appropriate names from the time your child is an infant. So when you have those opportunities, when you're talking about um, bodies and you're naming, oh, what is this? Your nose, that's your eye, those are your ears, these are your shoulders, you continue to name body parts, including the proper names for genitals. And some women don't even know the proper terms for human genitals, what is on the inside of the body versus the outside. So make sure that you are educating yourself. Just, you know, cliff note version, vulva is on the outside of the body. So when you're naming body parts, make sure that you're actually naming them with what is the correct anatomical names. Now there is a reason for this. Not only is using the correct terminology beneficial to your child, just in terms of them being knowledgeable about their own bodies, but there's other reasons why this is so important. And one of the big reasons has to do with vulnerability with predators. There have been a lot of studies done about children who know the correct anatomical names for their body parts being less likely to be abused sexually by predators. And there's a lot of different theories behind that. One of the big reasons is that if a child knows the correct name for their body parts, this communicates to potential predators that this child is less likely to be willing to engage in these types of activities or to be abused. They are knowledgeable about their bodies and therefore are less likely 
able to become prey of predators. Also, if a child does happen to be touched inappropriately and they don't know the correct name for body parts, they might very likely not be able to even communicate what has happened to an adult in a way that is clear what they're trying to communicate. Um, there's an article um, that was published and I believe it was the New York Times and I will put the link in my show notes, but it refers to the fact that if a child, their nickname for their vulva is cookie and they tell somebody, I, you know, somebody touched my cookie in toddler language, that doesn't communicate the same amount of, you know, concern that doesn't generate the right amount of concern in adult because you're hearing the word cookie. You're hearing these nickname body parts that may not even be clear what is being referred to. So it's important that children know the correct names for their body parts. And that is a great defense against being sexually abused, let alone the fact that a child is informed about their own bodies. So this is talking about bodies in the very young, in the pre-verbal child or a toddler who's just learning the names of bodies and how their bodies work. Make sure they're using all the correct terminology. So moving forward to now the very young child, the child that's verbal, that knows the parts of their body, uses the proper names for them, and they start noticing things like babies and pregnant women, and they start asking questions. So now I'm going to go ahead, and before I delve into this any further, I'm going to invite my firstborn daughter, Sophie, into the conversation to share just candidly a little bit about her memories about talking about sexuality with um, me from an early age. Okay, I'm now joined by my almost 16-year-old daughter, Sophie. Sophie, say hi. Hi. (laughs) And Sophie, I decided to invite her into this podcast, first of all, because she's home, because all my kids are home right now, as I shared, and also because she was the first child in my household with whom I had to kind of address the topics of sexuality and bodies with. And it went really well, largely because I followed your lead, Sophie. Sophie is one of these kids that's just always been full of interest and curiosity and questions. And when she was in kindergarten, five years old, she asked, where do babies come from? Do you remember asking that question? (laughs) I mean, maybe a little bit. (laughs) Okay. And I remember at the time, I wasn't sure that she fully wanted to know all the details. So my first tip in terms of talking to the very young child, the child between the ages of, I'd say like four to eight or nine is to ask clarifying questions. So I did that. So, so where do babies come from? And I said, well, you know, they, they grow inside a woman's body. And then I kind of stopped and I waited for another question. And what do you guess the next question was that you asked Sophie? Do you remember, or can you guess? Um, I don't know how they got there. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, then how did the baby get there? So I kind of left the door open for the next question and I kind of explained a little bit and that led to the next question and the next question and the next question. And Sophie, you were like insatiable. I could not answer (laughs) enough questions. Another question would follow that. And so when I was sure that you were ready for this conversation was when the questions didn't stop and you needed more information and you were hungry for the information. And can you think back this time period? I know it was a long time ago, (laughs) like almost 11 years ago, but can you remember 
when we had these conversations when you were young, do you remember if they felt like embarrassing or like, how did it feel? What do you remember? No, I definitely think that because I was so young, I wasn't really as consumed by the giant stigma that surrounds kind of sexual health and that whole aspect of it. I think a lot of it was greeted with a lot more curiosity and just learning about this whole new like part of life that was so very interesting and so complicated. So I think that really, really interests me. And, you know, I've never really lost that kind of interest for all things like science and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. it was really interesting to learn about it. Yeah. And I think from a parent's perspective, a lot of us kind of look at these conversations that we're going to have with our kids with like dread and like embarrassment. And so much of that, as like you said, it's these stigmas and these, these things we carry around that are societal or maybe experiences we had from our own childhood. And we're like, oh gosh, I don't want to have that talk or my kid's too young or they can't handle that information. And that's where really knowing what your child is ready for can be helpful. But also, like I said, following their lead. When I answered one question, I didn't overshare. And that's another one of my tips. And I think that might have been what happened with my mom and my sister, the story I already shared at the top, that my mom may have delivered a bit more information than my sister was maybe developmentally ready for. And so that kind of led to maybe too much information. But in the case with Sophie, you I knew we're ready for more because what you ended up saying after I kind of went through my own description of what happened was, I need to see a picture of this. <laughs> and I was, I was at first I was like, what am I going to show her? Because you were talking about like sex and you're like, I need to see a picture of this. And then I thought, okay, I know that there are resources out there and I already had heard about some great books and I'm going to put a link to these books in my show notes. They're wonderful and they're age appropriate. And the book that is for the very young child is called It's Not the Stork. And it's a New York Times bestseller, um, pretty widely available. And many people already know about this book, but it's by... Robbie H. Harris, and there's a series of books. So the first book is called It's Not the Sork, and that's for four-year-olds and up. The second book is called It's So Amazing, and that's for ages seven and up. And then there's a book for kind of like the just starting puberty age, starting about age 10 and up called It's Perfectly Normal. And these are great books that have illustrations and a lot of information, but it is age appropriate. Um, But of course, Peruzzi's book, read them yourself, make sure that you are comfortable with them. And if you're not comfortable with the entire book, again, you do not need to overshare. You can just share the parts of the book that your child seems ready for. So in Sophie's case, she was really interested in learning about how like the egg and the sperm come together. And I just reminded her that she kept calling them squirms. (laughs) And Sophie, you said, how does the squirm get to the egg? Does it jump? Does it jump? Does a squirm jump? And so that's when you, I explained about sexuality and how it happens. And that's when you wanted to know more. So this book was really helpful for us. And I brought it out here to bring, to show it to Sophie. It was actually in her little sister's room because her little sister was reading this book recently, had some questions about bodies and we drag it out again. And when you look through this book, I'm kind of flipping through the pages right now, Sophie, is it bringing back memories? A lot of nostalgia with this book. I I read this front to cover so so many times. So many times. Like this was her favorite bedtime book. Um, for, I mean, month and it's long. I mean, we could not get through the whole book in one night. And my mom, Sophie's grandmother came for a visit once and um, she was going to put Sophie to bed. And she's like, Oh, I'll put you to bed, Sophie. And I looked at my mom. I said, 
So the book that she's going to want you to read to her, I want to make sure you're okay, you feel comfortable enough. And I explained, and my mom, again, remember at the top, I said she was really like all on board with being very open. It just kind of backfired for whatever reason with my sister, but uh, she was all on board and she's like, okay. So she read a good portion of the, it's not the stork book to you, Sophie. And I remember she, that was so cute. She got about halfway through the book to the part where the baby's growing inside of the mom. And she shared the cutest quote that she said that you look at the picture of the baby and the umbilical cord and inside the womb. And you just looked at her and you go, oh my gosh, umbilical cords are so complicated. <laughs> and that's five-year-old you, Sophie. This is so cute. So again, age-appropriate books can be very, very helpful. Also, it's really, really important to continue the conversations around safe touches. It's okay not to, it's who's okay to see your body. Um, you know, doctors and parents and caregivers are helping clean you and bathe you and take care of you, but nobody else. So reinforcing the safe touch kind of rules. And um, they touch on that in all three of these books that I already mentioned to you as well. So always circling back around to that. The goal here is to be your child's resource for information, not their peers primarily, not the internet. You don't want them seeking answers because as we all know, there is every answer you ever wanted. And as soon as your child knows how to spell, they can type in a word like sex into the computer. And that is a little jarring if you consider what you might find if you do so. So again, you, the parent, want to be your child's first um, resource. So kind of growing up a little bit later when you were in the elementary age years, Sophie, um, outside of kind of like those first conversations we had, do you remember us having further conversations around sexuality and puberty and bodies? We got oh, definitely. Older? I think that when I was younger, it focused more on, you know, like how the whole baby thing happens. And I think when I got a little older, I was really curious about learning about like puberty and like how that whole, you know, transition looked like considering I was, you know, just before that age. And so I was really fascinated by how that whole thing happened. And I remember us, you know, I'd always ask you questions. I would always have conversations in the cars and, you know, driving out places and we would just have these long conversations about, you know, various topics. And I thought that they were very interesting and informative. Yeah. So, yeah, I think when you have a little bit of an older age child who might start to have a little bit of kind of embarrassment or a little bit of like, mm, you know, this is an uncomfortable conversation. Sometimes not having that face-to-face conversation can be helpful. So Sophie, you, you just mentioned having conversations in the car. I remember also having a lot of those around that age. Another thing, do you remember taking the class together that we took? I do. I do. That was, that was really interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. I think there's a class they offer in Seattle that is fantastic. It's offered at a Seattle Children's Hospital, and it's for um, kids between the ages 10 to 12, and uh, you do attend with your child, so you're all getting the same information, and it, it does take the conversations that we'd already been having a step further, and brought up maybe some topics we had not covered yet. No, definitely. I think I was very, very informative, and I actually really enjoyed it, especially because at that age, you know, schools can only share a certain amount of it and, you know, they're not required to kind of go full, you know, in depth. And so I think being able to hear from, you know, professionals and be surrounded by a bunch of other students and parents in this kind of more formal setting was really beneficial for me. Yeah. Absolutely. In the class, they were fun. There obviously is a little bit of kind of like squirmishness and, um, <laughs> you know, cringy moments. I remember specifically the teacher had us all yell penis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we were talking about, you know, growth and development, both males and females. And we were talking about puberty and 
what happens in boys' bodies and just to get us, you know, from... I mean, it takes away the awkwardness right yes. away. <laughs> yeah. And so let's all be awkward together and all yell penis. So a bunch of like, you know, girls and their moms yelling penis in the, in the auditorium. That was pretty humorous. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Sophie, for joining in on this conversation. And I will continue in a minute with a little bit more on this topic. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. So now I'm back, just me. I'm so glad that Sophie was willing to join in that conversation. And now all four of my kids have been on at least one of my podcast episodes, which has been a little fun bonus to having them home all the time. So anyway, getting back, circling back to moving on now to the elementary, the kind of child who is pre-pubescent or maybe early stages of puberty, as we kind of talked about having those conversations when you're not face-to-face, when you're in the car and you can talk a bit more openly without feeling the pressure of the eye contact where it might feel a little bit too uncomfortable for kids and parents to talk. Also, sometimes parents say, well, my kid doesn't really ask any questions and their child doesn't ask questions in those early years. I would say if your child is age seven and has never asked any questions about where babies come from, puberty, how girls' bodies are different from women's bodies or boys are different than men's bodies, if we've never talked about any of those aspects in your child around seven, it's time to start taking the lead in some of these conversations. And you can do so in asking what I would call, have you ever wondered questions? So you just basically find the opportunity just to one day ask your child again, maybe when you're not face-to-face, maybe when you're sitting in a car driving someplace, have you ever wondered where babies come from? Just drop that question in and see what your child says. And they might say, yeah. And it's, oh, tell me, what do you think? You start kind of bringing some conversations up. You find these opportunities to bring up conversations and then engage in the conversations and then see what kind of questions your child actually has been wondering about. You also can seek out teachable moments. Hey, if you drive by somebody with a newborn baby or somebody maybe who's pregnant, oh my gosh, look, there's a pregnant person. Oh, or showing pictures of yourself when you were pregnant or, you know, when you, your child um, came home or just finding opportunities for these conversations to be generated naturally. Maybe something you're watching on TV or a movie, something you on the radio or a podcast will generate a conversation that could help open the door to more conversations happening in the future. So if your child is not asking the questions, I had the example of a very inquisitive child at a very young age who wanted to know everything. Not all kids are like that. And that is fine. Even though you may have had the intention of having these open conversations from a very young age, you might have to take the lead in getting them started. If it still feels like your child is a little closed off and uncomfortable, perhaps you haven't gotten there first. Perhaps they have heard some things from friends, peers, happened upon something on the internet or watched something that maybe was a little beyond their years on TV. You might have a child who doesn't feel as comfortable. And then you might have to find another way through the door. Another suggestion in that terms, instead of just not having eye contact, is to have another activity happening. Maybe you can get some of those kind of more meditative coloring pages where you could be coloring and doing another project, a craft activity, something that you're doing together. And you could have a conversation while doing another activity that could take the pressure off. 
Another idea is to write back and forth in a journal. So maybe you say, hey, you know, it'd be really fun to write back and forth to each other in a journal and ask each other questions. And they don't have to all be on the topic of sexuality or puberty. They could be on any kind of things, but then you might want to slip in questions every now and then and kind of test the water, see if your child does have some questions. I did this actually with Sophie. I didn't mention it when she was here, but we wrote back and forth to each other in a journal about all kinds of things. But she would ask a lot of questions, particularly about puberty, particularly about crushes and um, finding interest in people in this journal we wrote back and forth to each other in. So it was a great kind of opportunity for us to continue to communicate in a way that maybe felt a little bit less uncomfortable about certain topics. And so that's another suggestion for you. All right, so now you have, let's say, a tween or teenager where, what do we do now? So having these conversations, you want to continue to have open and judgment-free discussions. You want to be able to have discussions with kids about porn, predators, sexting, these things that are in teenagers' lives because we have technology at our fingertips. You want to make sure that you're having these conversations with your kids so that you can be warning them about the dangers, but also making it clear that you are a safe place to go to. If somebody asks for a picture or sends a picture that you're not going to, you know, jump right into punishment, that you're going to encourage open conversations so that you can support your child in addressing these things that might come up along the way. Um, you also want to be able to have conversations with your child, not just about reproduction, not just about human development and puberty, but also about the positives of a healthy sex life, about things like consent, about things like pleasure, things that are not just straight about reproduction, having those types of conversations. So your child is not just given kind of a, a scientific explanation about bodies and reproduction, but also on the relationships and dynamics at play when partners are involved in sexual activity. With any age child, I would always strongly encourage you to have a very inclusive conversation where you are talking about things like sexuality and how it can be very variant and fluid, about gender and how that can be variant and fluid, so that you are having conversations. So when your child comes into contact with a person who perhaps is transitioning or perhaps um, presents as female, but still has some characteristics that might look male and might look confusing to your child. This had happened very recently with my youngest child. We were at a coffee shop pre-pandemic, and um, there was a person serving coffee who had a name tag and below it, it said she, her. So it was very clear that this person was identifying and communicating to people who were buying coffee, ordering coffee that she identified as female. But my five-year-old pre-reader saw this woman and saw, I think, a little bit of remnants of facial hair and a low voice and was very curious and asked me after we got our coffee, how come that person looks like a, is a boy, but, but dresses like a girl? And we got to have a very clear concise conversation about gender and how you don't always know what gender a person is and you cannot always assume and that it is polite to ask somebody 
what if they want to be called a girl or a boy or a he or a she. And there are some people that also don't identify as one gender. And so having those conversations from a very young age helps a child be uh, less inclined to develop bias and prejudice. So having those conversations about sexuality and including people who are, like I said, fluid with sexuality, identify as LGBTQ from young ages, helping kids make sense of this, because we don't know who our children are going to be. We know who they are. We have a birth certificate that names them as a specific gender. We don't know how that is going to play out in the long run. We have children who we don't know if their sexuality is going to be heteronormative or if they might be homosexual or bisexual or something else. So we have to, in our language, when we're explaining this, be open to being inclusive in our language and then see how things play out so that we are setting our children up for a conversation that may happen down the road around sexual identity, around gender, where they know that they are in a home that is open and accepting and where you're able to have these conversations without um, your child feeling like they cannot have conversations or you're not open to them or there's something wrong with them if they're having some questions along these lines. And then again, even with your tweens and teens, it is so incredibly important to reiterate that you are here to answer any question they may ever have without judgment and that you're here to be a resource to them and a support to them as they kind of navigate their sexual lives and start making sense of feelings and also their bodies. And you want your child to let you know if there's ever anything that doesn't feel quite right with their bodies, that they might need to seek medical advice. You don't want them to hide these things from you. And particularly, of course, when your children are going through puberty, you want them to know that they can't come to you if they start seeing signs of their first period and they're not hiding it. There's so many stories I've heard through the years of people who never felt comfortable. I didn't have that experience. I always knew I was able to talk openly with my mom when it came to things about my body and puberty. And I was really grateful for that. And again, you know, I feel like for our children, we need to be leaders and confident. And it might mean that we have to squirm a little bit inside, but what we bring to our children needs to be confident and clear and not communicating that this is an off topic or something reserved for a one-time conversation when your child is 12. Because if you're not starting these conversations younger, that conversation might be the only one you ever have with your child. So please consider starting these conversations as I've advised from a very young age and take care and have some great conversations with your kids. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.